don't listen to VCs. VCs are helpful, of course. We all need capital to grow, capital to bring an idea from being just an idea into an actual product. However, the objectives of VCs are not necessarily or not always aligned with the objectives of you as an entrepreneur. Focus on profitability rather than growth at any cost. Hey, Ted Huff here from Fintech Confidential. Are you struggling with payment technologies and feeling left behind in the digital commerce revolution? No worries. Let me introduce you to MPC 2023, the premier event for payments leaders. This is your chance to shake hands and rub shoulders with the world's top experts in payments, loyalty, blockchain, digital currencies, cybersecurity, consumer privacy, and other emerging fintech solutions, connecting you directly with the future of commerce. And if you haven't already, mark your calendars for August 23rd through the 25th and join me and Fintech Confidential at the Westin Atlanta Perimeter North. Now here's the best part. When you sign up for Fintech Confidential notifications, you will receive a discount up to 100% off. Yeah, you heard it right, up to 100% off. So what are you waiting for? Sign up now at www.fintechconfidential.com forward slash notifications. Don't let the future of commerce pass you by and join me at MPC in Atlanta from August 23rd through the 25th, where it's all about the movement of money. Welcome to Fintech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech, and companies that change how you pay and get paid. Michele, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ted. Good to be here. So, folks, today we're diving into the world of digital scorecards with Michele Tucci, the Chief Strategy Officer and Managing Director for Americas for Credo Labs. Now, Credo Labs is a revolutionary smartphone metadata analysis tool and Michele has been shaking up fintech from Capital One all the way over to Credo Lab with a career spanning over 47 countries and turning smartphones into crystal balls for credit risk. He's here to tell us how Credit Labs is making the world of credit a whole lot smarter. Now, before we dive in, Michele, I need to understand, like, how did you fall into fintech and what has kept the spark alive for you? Yeah, thank you, Ted. Uh, fintech, I think I've been into fintech before it was even sexy before it was even called fintech. You know, uh, banks at the end of the day are uh, technology companies and with a banking license. I used to work for a bank in Italy, uh, but actually before that Capital One in Italy, when continental Europe, and I'm originally Italian, continental Europe from a Capital One point of view was considered as an emerging market. Uh, imagine that back in, in 2000s, now, emerging markets are different. You know, emerging markets are Southeast Asia, Latin America, Africa. At that point, Italy, Spain, France were considered from a US point of view, like emerging. So that's where I started uh, applying what I knew about consumer behaviors, about preferences for credit versus debit uh, to consumer finance products and uh, credit cards specifically. 
After that, I went to get my MBA. I got uh, into MasterCard and that's where the world as I knew changed completely. That's where tech really came, uh, became a, a massive part of my job and uh, combining tech with uh, uh, analyzing preferences, analyzing behaviors, analyzing why people spend the way they do, uh, be the transactional patterns and uh, why the debit cards are preferred to credit cards. In, in a country, those reasons are different from uh, another country. And, um, and that's where uh, I moved from MasterCard to a mobile payments uh, company, uh, POS terminals in Asia were not very uh, famous. The former Square was just starting in the US. That was 2009. Mm -hmm. And we were already pushing for uh, mobile payment terminals in Southeast Asia, for instance, or uh, even Australia, New Zealand. And uh, from that, I went on to a private equity fund, uh, which invested $2 billion into fintech assets. I was working on finding technologies that would enable these fintech assets, mostly lenders, digital lenders, to approve more customers, uh, to be smarter in the way they were either servicing these customers or um, approving them in the first place. And um, and then I found a Credo Lab and I joined them and uh, has mm -hmm. been five years in the making, uh, still having a lot of fun, still a lot to do, and uh, still think FinTech is the place to be. Michele, you've You've conducted business in over 47 countries. You just mentioned a few of the areas, cards, payments, wallets, lending, investing, other digital products in fintech. How has this diverse experience shaped your perspective on how the fintech industry is evolving? The fintech industry is evolving in different directions. Uh, I would say that execution and innovate, product innovation can play equally good roles. In the US or uh, developed countries, you tend to focus on product innovation. And in emerging markets, you focus more on execution. Now, there are plenty of copycats that were successful in the US and then were replicated elsewhere. The, but I see also this trend changing with Asia leading the way in terms of mobile payments. Uh, think about QR codes in China, QR codes mm -hmm. in uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, they became a lot more successful uh, and a lot faster than NFC payments ever did uh, in, uh, in uh, Europe, in uh, UK, in the US. So um, there is a difference where the tech companies are pushing for the latest technology NFC contactless. And on the flip side, you see Chinese tech companies focusing on what people have today. They have a camera and merchants. They don't need to have the fanciest, the latest post terminal. They can just print a QR code. And mm -hmm. so you print QR codes, you scan QR codes, and right there you have mobile payments. Now the next logical evolution for them was QR codes interoperability. And the ability to use the same wallet in China elsewhere. Now we are 
from that point of view, the US uh, or uh, NFC technology allowed for a smoother transition because the technology was already the same everywhere. Uh, but they required also investment in uh, point-of-sale terminals. The fintech is evolving, and um, I think as long as we have the customer at the end, uh, at the center of what we do, then we are all going to converge into the same point. If you were to describe your journey so far in fintech, using a movie title... What would it be? Well, top of mind comes Top Gun Maverick, but my <laughs> friends will laugh at me and my ego, you know, because uh, nobody believed in him. I also come from a small village in, uh, in uh, southern Italy. I made a career out of something that even my father today uh, gave up understanding. Uh, and uh, he gave up understanding what I do already 15 years ago, maybe 16, because he, and he told me, I don't know what you do, but I see you happy and that's good enough for me. Mm. Oh. And he's 88 today. Uh, go explain how we turn, for instance, smartphone data into a uh, credit risk assessment. Yeah. Oh, that gives me chills just thinking about that because I, I had a similar conversation with, with my grandfather before he passed. And, and that was, that was something that was really, that, I mean, that, that holds me true. My, my dad still doesn't understand it either, just like yours. And he's just, he's just happy that I'm, I'm having fun with it as well. Michele, with over two decades of experience in fintech, what is the most important thing that you've learned so far? And by that old, two decades, the, the way you've put it now, it makes me feel already. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I didn't realize I have two decades of experience. Yes, you're right. The most important thing I think I learned is to listen to your clients. Um, whether they are consumers or uh, B2B clients, they drive product development. They drive their feedback drives your uh, roadmap. Your feed, their feedback drives the way that the product eventually will be shaped. When we launched uh, mobile payments in the past, in one of the companies I worked for, we made one crucial mistake. We thought that by skipping one logical step in the features that the pro that the market expected the product to have, uh, it would have been a differentiating point. And in fact, the, that decision led to the company being sold for one euro to, uh, to oh, a payment wow. gateway. So if we had listened to the market more than the idea of what the market wanted, I think we could still be alive as a company. And this holds mm. true also for consumer feedback. No, you may have the, um, an MVP, uh, a minimum viable product that works and you have some initial traction, but uh, you probably need to invest more to find market fit with 
and market fit without product fit doesn't allow you to scale and vice versa. So this is something that I learned later on by talking to VCs uh, to raise funds. They want you mm-hmm. to have product fit and late and also market fit. And initially I thought this was uh, kind of a checklist for VCs, useless uh, because as an entrepreneur, we, we are building companies. We are bringing uh, new products to market and we want these products to be bought by, by ca- clients. And VCs are not charity organizations. They will invest uh, if they see growth, uh, but uh, growth to, for the sake of growth is not healthy. So fit, market fit, they all come together, but I would prefer it to be together in a coherent path towards sustainability, sustainable growth, rather than double digit growth that will only please investors and, uh, and nobody else. With you talking about product market fit, Credo Lab is revolutionizing fintech with its digital scorecards. And this is all based on smartphone metadata analysis. Could you share just a little bit more about the vision and mission of Credo Lab before we dive in too deep? Sure. The vision of Credo Lab is to enable more people to have access to financial services at fair terms. And the problem that we are solving is lack of data. The way we know access to credit in uh, developed countries is different from the way people access credit in emerging markets. Uh, in, uh, the, in the US, having a credit score is almost a requirement, even on dating apps. I found <laughs> women asking, if you have a credit score below 750, swipe left. So from a US point of view, that became, I mean, even to, to an extreme that I don't necessarily agree with. But if I don't have a credit score and I'm new to the US, so I didn't have a credit score at that point, then what do I do? I cannot even date. So what we found is that smartphone data can be incredibly rich in depicting an image of a user, any user, uh, and calculating their probability to default a payment. So we found smartphone metadata as a way to compensate for the lack of traditional data to assess customers. And the problem is that if you don't have credit history, if you don't have uh, credit bureau scores, then traditional banks, they rely on uh, obsolete underwriting models. Their best uh, way to proceed is to just reject your loan application. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair. And that leaves millions, literally millions of people behind, excluded. Now we know that from the World Bank, the um, number of unbanked people globally went down from 1.7 billion to 1.1. And, and that's good news, but there is still 1.1 billion people outside of the mainstream financial services ecosystem. How do we bridge that gap? Guess what? These people most likely have a smartphone. 
these people by mm-hmm. simply using the smartphone for their day-to-day life, zapping somebody, even sending a, an SMS actually generates a footprint that can be mined in all the privacy compliance without compromising data protection. But all this data can be mined for a, what I believe to be a Nobel, uh, Nobel case, which is financial inclusion. So I was doing a little bit of research and looking through the social medias and all this fun stuff. And there was something on your Twitter page that I would really love to understand that you aim to change the way the world looks at credit. How is Credit Lab doing that? We are trying to change the way financial institutions look at people, look at applications of a credit card, a personal loan, a buy now, pay later, an auto loan, a two-wheeler loan, anything. Banks have a an institutional role to, to push the economy of the country they serve forward. No, credit has a vital role for small businesses to grow, for uh, people to realize their dreams. But if these people, very people and very business owners don't have access to credit, then whatever great ideas they have cannot be implemented. Even working capital for a small business owner is crucial for him to grow, her to grow. The way Credolab works allows banks to change the way they look at customers by complementing their traditional underwriting processes with something that is modern, something that is based on today's data, something that is based on data that each individual user generates today in real time. It's fresh data. It's, it doesn't get any better than that. When you think about assessing a loan application, you will want to have the freshest data, the most uh, relevant data for that particular individual. And even credit bureau scores, however important they are, they may not always be updated and they may not always be correct even. In fact, in the U.S., for instance, uh, there is a federal law called the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which allows individuals to request for a change in information in their credit report that is being wrongly reported and may have led to a rejection. In Credolab's case, you cannot change the way you acted on your smartphone. You cannot change or amend how many apps you downloaded, your app installation patterns. You cannot change how many selfies you took, uh, which could be correlated with a lower (laughs) propensity to repay a loan, for instance. Also, the ability for us to match, to identify your behaviors on the smartphone really correlate statistically with the propensity to repay a loan or not. So I'm assuming with all of this data that you're collecting, you guys are, are pulling it together, working through it using AI and machine learning. And AI and machine learning is still sort of a black box for a lot of people. How is Credit Lab working to change that particular perception of it being a black box? Uh, first of all, we don't use AI. So we use machine learning because of the vast amount of data that we 
process, but we don't use AI. And the reason is that AI generates black boxes and we don't uh, find helpful in uh, selling black boxes. So <laughs> the, um, and also there is a principle that always applies to any big data solution. Garbage in, garbage out. If you have uh, wrong data or uh, unstructured data or um, unclean data in the modeling pipeline, then you'll have a, an outcome that will not be useful. So when we started working, and this was back in 2016, we started analyzing device uh, fingerprints and uh, on Android and iOS both. And we realized that this is the same kind of data everywhere. So we standardized a way to access the raw data. We also created a way to generate a data set without compromising the user's identity. So our data sets are always anonymized, but also standardized globally. So if you are a multi-finance, a uh, multinational company that has operations in multiple countries, you can rely on a data set that is always the same globally, which adds a lot of benefits from a data point of view. So back to the AI ML kind of, uh, kind of uh, question, the, once you analyze on average uh, 70,000 data points per client, you need to have algorithms that are able to eliminate the noise from the big data and to focus on those data points that are predictive and that have low correlation with each other because you want to increase the predictive power of, of the end outcome. What we also did in terms of explaining the score, explaining the output to our clients is to use net logistic regression as the very last step of our calculations. And the reason is that, well, first of all, it works. You don't need any fancy AI to generate a predictive score. And second, banks are used to work with net logistic regression, so they understand it. So from a statistical point of view, we can easily explain why having too many selfies is bad for your uh, credit score, alternative credit score. You mentioned you, you guys aren't doing anything with AI, but your proprietary technology is based on machine learning algorithms and doing the research. It, it looks like it could do over 10 million different behavioral features. What are the key problems in fintech that this specific technology is designed to solve how does it solve this data when you have a disparity between a low-end android handset all the way up to the super high-end iphone 14 pro max device you've got that big disparity how are you helping solve that technology gap with the solution? We solved that problem by letting the algorithms 
identified uh, data points that are predictive. So there is no uh, human bias uh, brought into the models. And fun fact, perhaps iPhone users tend to be less risky than Samsung users uh, in our experience. <laughs> and uh, Oppo users tend to be less risky than Huawei users. So by looking at the device brand itself, you could already get a sense of how risky an applicant may be. But that alone may not be enough to reject or approve a customer. Myself, for instance, I'm a Samsung advocate. I'll never buy uh, iPhones. And uh, <laughs> does it make me less good of a repayer? Simply because my preference is for an Android operating system versus a, an iOS one. Other elements are driven simply by statistics, simply by information value of a raw data point. And uh, you, you mentioned that we have about 10 million behavioral features, which we do with part of Credolab's intellectual property. So we have engineered uh, so many features because we don't want to leave any, any stone unturned. So imagine you are in Nigeria or in the US or uh, in Japan, your behavior as an applicant are uh, completely different. And so when we, uh, however, you are using an Android device, you are using an iOS device. How do we make sense of these nuances, behavioral nuances uh, to allow you to be scored in a fair way? That's why we go so wide, 10 million behavioral features, and then we narrow down through quite greedy algorithms and quite fast to about 5,000 features. And so we go super wide until we go super narrow to identify the micro behavioral patterns that are predictive for, for you, right? You as an individual. That is very interesting. I'm sitting here thinking and going through it, just looking at all these different data points. You mentioned selfies, you've mentioned number of applications. There's so much data in there and I'm starting to wonder, okay, so what behaviors do I have <laughs> that, that show it? Uh, and, and, and the other piece that starts to come into mind is the problem that, that I'm seeing Credilab solving is the non-traditional lenders that are going after the, the underbanked or unbanked folks how are they going to implement or bring Credilabs into either their mobile application, their website? Like, how is that actually done for our, our good fintech founders out there that are watching and listening? Yeah, it's done by integrating a small library of code into their mobile app, into their website, or both, if they are using both. And it's a proprietary uh, SDK, software development kit, uh, quite light, uh, unintrusive, that can be deployed in uh, as little as uh, two days after the prioritization, IT prioritization is done, <laughs> uh, which usually takes... Always prioritization. A, right. And it usually takes a lot longer than the actual coding. We opted for an SDK integration because... It allows us to create a closed loop 
between mm-hmm. us, the user, and the financial institution, so that it also allows us to protect the data. We only use data that we access and process through our proprietary SDKs. And we access data of that customer only within the context of that customer applying for a personal loan with that institution that is client of Credolab. So we don't buy data from any third party. We don't need to. We don't even need to know the identity of the user. We don't know if Ted or Michele is applying for a loan. We just know that one device is coming through the door and we generate a score for that particular device. This protects the user's data, insulates the financial institution from reputational risks in case of data breach, and keeps credo labs safe because we don't process personal data at all. Uh, although on the surface, it looks like we access a lot of data, Actually, we use this data only for one purpose, which is allowing people to be scored at fair terms. And we don't sell data to any third party. Uh, We use the same data to uh, detect fraud. And uh, whenever a financial institution goes into the bottom of the pyramid, the unbanked customers or um, the so-called thin files, that's where you have less data available. And uh, that's where also uh, fraud is more uh, prevailing. Uh, First-party fraud, for instance, is a big pain point for any digital lender. So how do you know if the customer is manipulating data? That's a simple thing to do if you have Credolab's technology embedded. No, we look at the way you type, how familiar you are with the data you're typing, without even knowing what are you typing. That's the beauty of the technology as well. So we look at uh, how long it takes for you to type TED and versus uh, how, how many times you've changed the income value. So that mm-hmm. form of data manipulation can be easily detected. But also imagine the way you are using the mouse or the finger on the screen, human behavior is such that you kind of move, not irrationally, but uh, you don't follow straight lines. But if you are a bot, you go the way down, you go the way left, right, diagonal. Mm -hmm. When you play or replay the session of an interaction uh, and comparing the human interaction with a bot interaction, then it's obvious that uh, the two are different. So we can detect the bots in this way as well. Oh, and, wow. the, and this is all without friction added to the end user experience. So what we don't want to do is to ask end users to do something else. And if you are a good customer, if you are a genuine customer, you shouldn't be worried about the credo technology being there, analyzing the way you're typing, the way you're using your smartphone. You have nothing to hide. If you are a delinquent customer, that's when you should worry. <laughs> An American banker article that I read about Credo Labs, it brought up the the issue of of credit invisibles and kind of their behavior. In your opinion, how does Credo Labs solution address the issue of credit invisibles? 
Hey, Ted Huff here from FinTech Confidential. Let me introduce you to MPC 2023, the premier event for payments leaders. This is your chance to shake hands and rub shoulders with the world's top experts, connecting you directly with the future of commerce. Now here's the best part. When you sign up for FinTech Confidential notifications, you will receive a discount up to 100% off. So what are you waiting for? Sign up now at www.fintechconfidential.com forward slash notifications. Don't let the future of commerce pass you by and join me at MPC in Atlanta from August 23rd through the 25th, where it's all about the movement of money. So creating invisibles are a big problem in uh, globally, actually. Uh, in the U.S. alone, you have about 54 million credit invisibles. You have 5.5 billion million Brits that are credit invisibles. It's not just the unbanked in India. And um, so the, the way we work allows our clients, the financial institutions, to understand these customers, understand gig economy workers. Imagine, so... They don't have a stable income like my father used to know, like banks today still hope you do. No, you, they want you to see, uh, they want you to have a monthly salary. But what if you are a driver for Uber or uh, you deliver food? Then you don't have a stable income, but that doesn't mean you are not credit worthy. So we are trying to change the way banks and lenders in general look at everybody without building biases into the assessment by, uh, because they don't have what probably an older guy would think that's a standard job, a normal job. What, what is normal today? Uh, it's uh, different. Also millennials, they don't like credit. So because of their personal preference, towards using debit cards more than credit cards, they don't generate credit history kind of data. So they automatically become thin files at credit bureaus. Mm -hmm. They may have a bank account, but they don't have a credit card. Why? Because they don't need one or they don't like one. Does it mean that they are not credit worthy? I don't believe so. So we kind of equalize the way that any financial institution, whether conventional or not, uh, look at individuals based on the way they use their smartphones, based on the way they type, they interact with any user interface. With there being this catch-22 in the creditworthiness, I think you just mentioned with millennials where they have a thin file. How is Credit Lab aiming to use the behavioral data that we've talked about to achieve this greater financial inclusion? It's simple. Uh, we complement the existing underwriting processes that leverage traditional data with behavioral data. In other words, we don't, we're not advocating for uh, banks to change the way they uh, look at these millennials or gig economy workers, thin files in general, we are bringing a new and complementary type of score, type of data for them 
to have a better understanding of these people. We're not advocating for a bank to forego the credit score. Uh, that's important. That helps you, helps the bank assess the ability of a customer to repay. Just like we're not advocating for uh, lenders uh, not to use transactional data, like open banking kind of data, played or, um, or similar. So we are supplementing the existing assessment with a new layer that sits on top of the existing layers of assessment that is behavioral in nature. One example I always like to do is uh, imagine Ted, you and I, we have the same salary. Uh, we have the same credit bureau score. And uh, if the bank is assessing our application by using these traditional means, they will most likely approve both of us. However, from a behavioral assessment, it looks like that Ted has a higher probability to repay the loan than Michele does. <laughs> In other words, the, by complementing the existing traditional way of approving or uh, assessing customers, we help our clients to answer two key questions. Can the customer pay back? And will the customer pay back? Credit bureau, uh, transactional data, they help you answer the first question. Ability to repay, uh, affordability checks. What about the other? Will the customer repay? So when you combine the two together, you have the best assessment yet of any individual. The additional data that comes into play and creating a cohesive customer experience requires all the players to work together. How is Credit Lab ensuring this in its operations and the product offerings? It's very straightforward. We are an embedded scoring technology provider. So we are embedded into the front end, being a mobile app or a website, which uh, thanks to COVID also, I mean, that's perhaps one of the few good things of COVID. Now, <laughs> most banks, most lenders have uh, a mobile app for originations. If not, uh, they have an app for account management or portfolio management and a website to originate uh, new customers. So either ways, we have a way to uh, collect the data by being embedded in that very front end. And we do it in a way that doesn't generate any friction. So, uh, of course, customers, the end users, they have to grant uh, privacy consent for us to access data. But guess what? The, the data is, we, we are a data processor. The data controller is still the bank, is still the buy now, pay later player. So, the end users have to trust the lender they are applying for a loan with. They don't need to trust Credolab. And once we get the privacy consent, then on mobiles, we need to have the permission to access data. So there are at least two layers of security that are in full control of the individual. We cannot influence that. Not even our clients can influence how much data the end user grants us access to. The main advantage of using Credolab versus 
other providers is that we don't generate friction in the onboarding process. And we also comp- uh, help our clients to protect their data, the end users to choose how much data they're actually willing to give access to. Now, the reality is that if you are a fraudster or if, if you are not a genuine uh, customer, you will try to deny access to data. Why? Because you're trying to um, hinder our ability to detect the you as a fraudster. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, the genuine customers have nothing to hide again, right? The point is that we can generate a score even with a minimal data being granted uh, access to uh, from the end users. And that's part of our technologies. We want to respect how comfortable people are to uh, grant access to data and yet being able to deliver something predictive uh, to our clients. Getting people comfortable with sharing that data comes around having them understand the privacy and the security that goes around it. How does Credit Lab ensure the privacy and security of the data it processes, given this is extremely sensitive data around their financial lives? Oh, we make no mystery of the data we access. Actually, if you go to credolab.com, you can read exactly what data we access, why we access data, how we process data, what do we do with the data after a financial institution terminates the agreement with Credolab. So we destroy data, short answer. So uh, we don't, uh, we have nothing to hide. And our privacy notice, uh, we have one for the GDPR in Europe, one for the uh, California residents, uh, which is the strictest in the US, for instance. <laughs> we have, but guess what? I'm in Florida. Nobody cares about the CCPA, right? The California Consumer Protection Act. And uh, there are few jurisdictions, uh, only a few actually. So there is Brazil, South Africa, Indonesia, India, Vietnam. They all require data residency. So the personal data of the data subject, basically the individual, must stay within the country. When this is a requirement, uh, we do deploy a cloud instance within the country. So although we don't process personal data, we don't process personally identifiable information, PII, we Mm -hmm. still find it easier for our clients to adopt our technology by knowing that the metadata, depersonalized and anonymized, is stored within the country. All of this is public information for us. We don't make any mystery. And um, uh, and that's what our clients know, and that's why they come to us. Now, the le- next step, because we are simply a data processor, is to convince our clients to be as transparent in their own data privacy policies, in their own notices that are available on their websites or a mobile app. And most of them actually are quite transparent. And uh, Mm -hmm. they realize that if you do process data in the right way, then there is no harm in being transparent about uh, the way you do business. Your type of data that you're pulling is all behavioral around how they use the device and and the different devices that that they are using uh, that are 
connected to, I guess, their profile at Credo Lab. How should the listeners and viewers differentiate what Credo Lab does to determine credit worthiness versus a plaid or a finicity for a financial institution? Or a lender, I should say. It doesn't have to be a financial institution. Plaid and Finicity solve a problem, but they don't solve all problems. No? They can help you access, help you as a lender access data related to the bank account history. So they help you with the affordability checks. They help you to understand how much loan uh, amount any particular individual can afford to repay based on the analysis of the past X months worth of transactional data. Uh, guess what? Uh, there is only one single valuable data point in that analysis, whether or not you received your salary in the last month. Because no matter how much you were able to repay in the last 11 months, if you didn't get your salary last month, you're not going to pass the test. So we are different from Plaid and Finicities of the world because we are giving a, an assessment of the user based on their behavior on the mobile. So le let me give you some example. Plaid and Finicity, they look at your disposable income. They look at the money in and money out. They look at merchant categories. Uh, how did you spend the money out? The idea that uh, having access to your Spotify subscription or whether or not you pay for the Netflix subscription has any meaningful impact on your uh, credit uh, risk assessment is wishful thinking in my mind. It's just a hook, <laughs> a marketing hook to uh, to uh, uh, reel people in into the idea of permissioning, uh, giving you access to this type of data. Mm -hmm. So we look at the data that is already on your mobile, that is updated daily by virtue of using the mobile. So imagine if we have access to calendar permission, uh, both Android and iOS, we look at metadata related to the way you are booking or scheduling uh, meetings. How many people do you invite? How many calls do you have on a weekly basis? And uh, if you claim to be a white collar kind of employee on your, on your loan application, but then we don't see any calendar uh, <laughs> events scheduled, Right there, there may be something fishy, right? That you may want to investigate further. In a similar way, if we have access to contacts, and I say if, because not all end users grant us access to these permissions. So if we have access to contacts, uh, we don't uh, download the actual address book. We don't need that. Uh, we look at patterns. We look at how many new contacts you create per day for instance, or per month, per uh, uh, even during the week versus weekends, right? If you are a social person, perhaps you would be uh, generating more contacts over the weekend than during the work week. And um, so we look at these behavioral patterns, but also how many contacts are favorited? How many have a um, 
a custom melody, for instance. And these are behavioral in nature. So your preferences are different from mine. It yeah. may be correlated with probability to default or not. Uh, but also from a fraudulent standpoint, what if we notice that the week leading or the month leading to an application of a loan, you have downloaded five, six, ten finance apps, uh, finance apps. So, well, we know that if you have more than 13 apps in the finance category, you may be 2.6 times riskier than somebody with less than five. This so, very quickly helps me understand the 10 million behavioral features. And as you go through all of these things, it really helps me to understand how nuanced we get in all of our mobile devices and just thinking through it. Like I got a new laptop and I set that up clean from beginning. So if you looked at that one versus the machine I'm on now, it's going to look totally different, but there are going to be a handful of similarities. And then I've got an iPad that has a lot of the same stuff my mobile device does, but my mobile phone has more on it than the iPad. So I can see how all of those different things come into play. In an ecosystem like iOS, are you able to <clears throat> see the interconnectivity between those or is it purely just on that one particular device? We analyze behaviors on each individual phone. So uh, we don't see the connectivity between data on iOS and Android simply because a customer has either one or the other. No? So if you come to a client of Credolab and you apply for a loan through the app of that client, then we can look at the data of you as an applicant, full stop. We don't see data from other people. What we look for is similarities in the behaviors of delinquent customers as a way to predict how um, likely are you to miss a payment, for instance, or how likely are you to be behaving in a way that is similar to a confirmed fraudulent applicant. With Apple, there's a do not track device, do not track feature. Does that immediately make me look like a bad, <laughs> bad uh, consumer for a loan? Or how do you, how are you seeing that impact the, the credibility of the individual with Credit Labs? Uh, it doesn't make you a bad actor right away. Uh, you can simply be uh, cautious about the data you generate and you want to protect the, your own data. Today, we see about 98% of all people actually granting access to permissions. And um, that, the, but the main point is also that you will trust the financial inst institution. When we uh, look at data, we look also at uh, uh, X number of data points. It's not just you trying to hide a particular uh, permission or a particular category of data. We triangulate a lot of data points. Today, we see about 98% of all people actually granting access to permissions. And um, that, the, but the main point is also that you will trust the financial inst institution. We just provide lenders with insights to be able to make themselves 
Better. I could go deep down the rabbit hole and all of these technical things. I'm a data geek at heart. But before I ask the last question of today, I want to understand, is there anything that that you wanted to make sure that the audience understands about Credo Lab that you want to share? Yes. The, there is a misconception about uh, behavioral data or perhaps alternative j- data in general. So um, let's go back to the basics. What is alternative data? It's a broad definition of anything that is not traditional. So um, traditional data is the credit score, the application form data, social demographic data you have. Anything mm-hmm. else is traditional. So you mentioned played and finicity. They are alternative data in the bucket of transactional data. Then you can have psychometric assessments. You can have telco uh, scores. Uh, you can have um, tax. Even in some countries, lenders use tax data uh, because there is no open banking framework. So tax data helps them to understand uh, the affordability of particular customers. So behavioral data is a subset of alternative data that has very little correlation below 5% with any of the other sources of alternative data and also traditional data. So since you are a data geek, low correlation means uh, high orthogonality. Orthogonal data sets should be welcomed by anybody. The more data you can find of that particular individual, the better for any lender. At that point, the only question becomes, how much should I pay for that additional source of data, for that additional score? And that really depends on the unit economics of the lending product. So going into the last question, and this is uh, somewhat of a personal perspective question. If you were to give fintech executives or startup founders that one piece of advice on how to build a successful company, what would that be and why? Don't listen to VCs. <laughs> Don't you listen expand on to... that. Sure. It's VCs are helpful. Of course, we all need venture money. Uh, we all need capital to grow capital to bring an idea from being just an idea into an actual product. However, the objectives of VCs are not necessarily or not always aligned with the objectives of you as an entrepreneur. So my recommendation would be to focus on profitability rather than growth at any cost. Fantastic. I love the advice. It is one of those things that uh, I can see my VC and private equity firm friends just cringing a little bit over there, which makes me happy. If people want to learn more about Credilab, if they want to learn more about you, if they want to reach out, what is the best way to get a hold of you to see about adding Credilab technology 
to their product or service. Happy to walk you through a demo, happy to discuss more how we can help. Because at the end of the day, what we want is to bring more people into mainstream financial services. And uh, these very people have a smartphone. They interact with websites. So uh, we, we have a way to help you there. So what we'll go ahead and do is we'll we'll go ahead and put all of the links to get a hold of Michele as well as Credit Lab in the show notes down below. We'll have all that information. But if you want to make sure that you get direct access and find out more and get a super fast response, go ahead and go to credolab.fintechconfidential.com and we'll get you directly connected with Michele and the rest of the team over at Credo Labs. Michele, thank you so much for the time today. We dove so deep into so many different areas and you really have shed light on how to look at the data on mobile phones in a different way on to fill in this financial inclusion gap. Grazie, Ted. This was awesome. Support provided by MPC 2023, the premier event for payments leaders. It's your chance to shake hands and rub shoulders with the world's top experts in payments, loyalty, blockchain, digital currencies, cybersecurity, consumer privacy, and other emerging fintech solutions, connecting you directly with the future of commerce. Mark your calendars for August 23rd through the 25th and join me and fintech Confidential at the Westin Atlanta Perimeter North. Now here's the best part. When you sign up for FinTech Confidential notifications, you will receive a discount up to 100% off. Yeah, you heard it right. Up to 100% off. So what are you waiting for? Sign up now at www.fintechconfidential.com forward slash notifications. Don't let the future of commerce pass you by and join me at MPC in Atlanta from August 23rd through the 25th, where it's all about the movement of money. This has been a production of Diamond D3 Media. With all rights reserved, this is provided for informational purposes only. It is not offered or intended to be used as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. We strive to provide accurate and up-to-date information but will not be responsible for any missing facts or inaccurate information. You comply and understand that you should use any of this information at your own risk. Cryptocurrencies are highly volatile financial assets, so research and make your own financial decisions.